Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Bowdis. Today, the Bowdis Financial team is back for our first book club of 2024. We kicked off this year by reading Deep Work, Rules for Focus, Success, in a Distracted World by Cal Newport. The book was selected by John, so I'll pass it over to him to explain why he chose it. Thanks, Mark. My interest in this book is, is really rooted in my like growing fascination with peak human performance and, and how it's ultimately achieved. And although my curiosity about the boundaries of human performance, or really the lack thereof, um, depending on who you're talking to, date back to my days as a track and cross-country athlete, my interest in this topic was, was increased significantly when I read a book called Peak by Anders Ericsson. And uh, this book by Anders addresses the science of expertise and how, how and why people become experts in their field. It really isolates some of those things that those people are doing. One of the chapters of that book, he discusses what he calls purposeful practice. And basically, pers- purposeful practice is, fo- is focused practice that is designed to make you better. Now, of course, you say, yeah, like, of course, practice is designed to make you better. But really, to, to put that in other words, if you want to get better in a particular sport, hobby, or field, what you practice matters significantly. And I really feel like Cal Newport's idea of deep work really builds on the idea of purposeful practice and that it it isolates the importance of when, how much, and the circumstances surrounding your practice mean um, for your progress. And and focus during this practice matters and the time that you spend doing this mindful or purposeful practice must be protected because we all know there are many, many distractions that exist in this world and they're only growing in the amount of distractions that we have. At a personal level, you know, years back, I encountered this distinction between being busy and getting things done. You know, a lot of times you, you, you see someone and, and you ask them how they're doing. And they're like, oh, I'm just busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. And everyone, everyone's almost always busy. But, you know, I myself in, in recalling that I just remember that one day where I, I had this crazy day and, and it was just one of those days where, you know, you barely have time to eat, you know, and it just, uh, it just, just seems like just zips right by and you're constantly doing something. And I remember at the end of the day being exhausted from, you know, just being incredibly busy. And, and then along the short of it was, I was kind of disturbed in what I started to realize is that as busy as I was, I didn't really make a whole ton of progress throughout that day. But I was crazy busy all day, but I, I, all I really did was more or less stay afloat. You know, you're answering emails, you're putting out fires, but I didn't really make any strides towards some of these goals that I had set out for myself, some of these long-term goals. And it was just merely just more or less going through these the motions. This book really reminded me of that. It, you know, it, there's this this idea that we're busy, but just because we're busy, um, you know, the parallel is like just because you're practicing doesn't mean you're actually practicing things that are going to make you better um, because you call it practice. Where the same idea applies is uh, you know being busy is not necessarily doing some things that you. Um, would would hope or or are connected with some of these long term goals you might have, and I think Cal really unlocks some of these great ideas as to how we can break free from the monotony of being busy 
and moving on to improving and producing those things that are more in line with achieving our goals. I think he does a great job of using real life examples. I mean, I love that idea. Is he he uses a lot of real life people and how you know they incorporate some of these ideas of deep work into their day. And he also makes it very simple. It breaks this idea of deep work down to three rules that we could all use. Those being work deeply, embrace boredom, uh, quit social media, and then finally drain the shallow. So I thought it made sense for us all to kind of just take one of these rules and and uh, take a deep dive into each one of those. Um, I thought I'd start with Kayla. The first rule, I love how it's actually called work deeply, which makes a lot of sense. The The book called Deep Work would have a rule called work deeply. But Kayla, I thought maybe you could kind of uh, extrapolate on that and give us your take on you know that rule. Yeah, thanks, John. In this rule, he kind of breaks it up into four philosophies. So it's just different strategies that you could use to do deep work. Um, the first one's called the monastic approach. And that word comes from monastery, like the place where monks live. And the idea is that you shut yourself off completely. So I think in the book, he used the example of someone moving into the woods to like finish writing a book and then they're not allowed to come back until the book is done. So that one's pretty extreme. One of the other philosophies is called the bimodal approach. And this one is where you would set aside a time block for deep work every day. For example, you can lock yourself in your office for five hours every day. And it's similar to the monastic approach in the way that you're like not letting yourself out. But this one, you know, you're going to be done in five hours and then you're free to do whatever you want. One of the other philosophies he had was the rhythmic approach. And this one is kind of similar to the last one I was discussing, but you look more at your calendar and you plan your week ahead of time. And then from there, you could set like 10 different blocks of 90 minutes on your calendar where you make time for building your new habit or whatever you're trying to accomplish. Um, and then the last philosophy that he had was the journalistic approach, where if you're super busy, this one could work well. You can basically just dedicate any free time, unexpected time to working deeply. But I did like how he gave like a few different options. Yeah. The journalistic approach kind of sounds like the way a lot of people try to do it. He even points out like it's very dangerous to take that approach and you have to be very experienced because it'd be really easy to go down a journalistic approach and just still not do any deep work um, if you're kind of leaving it up the chance. But I did find myself thinking about, oh, where do I fit? Like, how do, how, how do I look at my day? Like, how am I doing these things? And you can see how um, monastic approach would just not apply to being a financial advisor, <laughs> just to kind of shut yourself away. Yeah. And the idea that, like, depending on what field you're in, it may speak to some of these different options at a personal level. And another reminder, I, I guess, deep work reminded me of one of the other things that I, I like doing, which is playing the guitar. And, um, you know, I see, I see people that have been playing as long as me and I'll just play circles around. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's amazing. And it really made me think, you know, when it comes to deep work and that practice and just really, really dissolving yourself in, in that practice and, and whatever it may it is you're trying to get better at, it's really easy for you to just be there doing things that just, that feel good or just are fun, you know, with playing the guitar, it's, it's fun to pick up the guitar and play songs, you know, or like do, do some certain things, but They've identified these exercises or whatever it may be, like doing scales or, you know, finger exercises that if you really, really focus on those things, you can accelerate how much better you get throughout throughout that time. And, and um, the next rule really made me think of that is embracing the boredom. 
it's just incredibly boring to do those finger exercises and to, to really put yourself into those situations where you're doing those things that are necessarily going to be making you better. And he talks a little bit about that in, in rule number two, and I'll hand it over to Mark to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So rule number two is embrace boredom. And I, this rule really resonated with me, my favorite one of the book. And it kind of goes along to that same premise you were talking about, that the ability to concentrate it's a skill that has to be trained and you can't transform it overnight. For most of us, we have to like wean ourselves because we're just dependent upon distraction. And the way he, he kind of proposes it is like a, it's, you basically have to develop a habit, like the same way that you have to develop a habit like flossing. You have to develop this, this mental muscle, um, to avoid distraction and, and embrace boredom. Uh, you know, he gave an example that hit home. He says, if you can't sit still online in the grocery store without looking at your smartphone, your brain has most likely been rewired. And I have to admit, it happened to me even after reading the book. I guess I was like thinking about it, but sitting in the gro- online waiting and I'm like, didn't know what to do. So I pulled, I wanted to pull out my phone. I said, oh no, I'm going to fight it. I'm going to resist it. And after like a minute after that, I pulled the phone out and I was online for less than five minutes and it just, goes to show like how rewired our brains are um, for it. So, you know, the next question obviously is, okay, if that's what you have to do, how do you do that? Um, and what he says is there's like a popular form is the digital detox where you avoid, let's say he uses the internet as an analogy or like a substitute for just distraction. Um, and what he says is, oh, the digital detox is you stay off the internet for a day and what he says, this usually doesn't work because he equates it to, well, if you want to get healthy, you can't just eat healthy for one day and then gorge on food the other six days. So the same premise is you can't just go off the internet one day and be on the internet all day the other six days and think that you'll actually get better. So what he does is he proposes the reverse. So he his version of a digital detox, he says, no, you're actually going to take a, a focused detox. So you actually plan your internet time. And he says, by doing this, you avoid the internet at all, all times. And that by doing this, you'll focus or, or minimize the number of distractions or the number of times that you give into that distraction. If you, let's say you schedule your next internet block in 30 minutes, you know that in 30 minutes, I have to, or, or for the next 30 minutes, I have to focus. And he calls it mental calisthenics um, of being able to, and, you know, over time you, you kind of let those sessions or you make those sessions go more and more. And, you know, some people will say, well, what if my job requires a lot of internet use? Um, so what he says is that's fine. You just have to make your internet blocks more numerous. You still have to keep the integrity of your offline blocks intact. So even if you have to schedule this like distracted block for every 15 minutes, do it. But the rest of the time, those offline blocks, you have to keep keep true to them and you have to keep from being connected. Even if what you're doing, you know, like your deep work requires something from the internet to keep doing it, he says you can't, you must resist to give, to give it in. You know, he says, if you have to switch to another offline activity until your next internet block, and then you can do your research or whatever you need the internet to do. He basically says, you can't turn this off at home too. So you can't say, okay, I'm just going to do this or adhere to this during my working hours. And then when I get home, I'll go crazy and I'll be glued and watch you know, Instagram reels all, all day long. Um, he says, when you're in your offline block, put the phone away. Um, you know, don't avoid it. You know, don't engage in any distracting behavior. 
he says to simply wait and be bored. It's a novel experience nowadays, just because how ingrained we are to become distracted. So, you know, I thought he, in this, in the whole book, I thought he did a great job at blending together like analogies, stories, theory, and actual practical uh, advice. So I thought, I thought it was a, a good book overall and good, good chapter, especially. Yeah, it's, boredom almost doesn't even exist anymore. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I was looking at, looking at my kids and I remember thinking, uh, when we were taking a vacation, how they just, you know, they're in the car and they needed the iPads and all this stuff. And we're thinking like when we were kids, like <laughs> just, oh, just look out the window, like do, do, do what you can. <laughs> like just, you got used to being bored. Now, of course, you know, we have plenty of, plenty of ways of wasting our time and, and, uh, and attacking the, the boredom. But I also feel like this rule and rule number three, they, they overlap quite a bit because they, <laughs> they kind of go hand in hand. You probably couldn't have a book called Deep Work without chapter on social media. So uh, uh, rule number three is for Kira. Yeah. So um, rule number three is to quit or significantly minimize your use of social media. Obviously, we know that this will support the focus of the book to have deep focused work. So Cal Newport argues that social media can be detrimental to deep work because it has that addictive nature to it and it puts us in a constant state of distraction, um, whether it be that we're getting notifications on social media or just opening up social media on our phones in and of itself. So as we all know, social media reduces our ability to concentrate and it also reduces our willpower in a lot of different ways. I'm sure we've all found ourselves picking up your phone or getting on your computer to accomplish a task, whether it be searching something up on the internet or getting on your phone to make a phone call or reply to a text. But then you open up Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you get sucked into that black hole of scrolling. And I think it's even worse now since the book was written because of that like short form content that we now see on um, Instagram and TikTok and YouTube with like the TikTok videos, reels, and shorts, the video content is really engaging and it's very interesting. And then as soon as that 10 second or 60 second clip is gone, it's almost as if you just are really likely to look at the next video. At the time this book was written, the focus was really on like Facebook and Twitter, but platforms have just kept growing and growing. And I think that social media is even more of a distraction now. So he suggests that social media can be evaluated. So basically we should like look at the value that social media truly brings to our personal and professional lives. Obviously the answer to what um, a platform will bring to your personal life will be different than what it brings you to your professional life. And it will also depend on your profession, of course. Um, but he advocates for more intentional and limited use of social media, regardless of if you are involved in um, a business that you utilize social media for marketing efforts, which we do. And and that's also my role here. So kind of why I picked this section, because I really found it to be interesting. So if you want to minimize your use, the first thing you can do is adopt strict time limits. So when you're on social media, you say, I only have 10 minutes on this app or on this webpage, or you can schedule specific intervals for usage into your schedule. So that would be like only allowing yourself after 5 p.m. when your workday has ended to be on social media and basically like removing the app from your phone at the other times or making sure you don't have it as a shortcut on your computer. 
And then the third thing you can do is just completely abstain from certain platforms or all platforms. For example, you could just say, I'm going to only have a Facebook and a LinkedIn and I'm going to get rid of my Twitter and my Instagram because I find the latter two to not really be valuable to my life. In this section of the book, he also does discuss taking a break from social media. So a lot of people will do like a social media cleanse where maybe for one month or for one week or for six months, they go on a break from social media and they don't use it at all. But um, he cautions that like while this is beneficial for completing a deep work task, like if you wanted to learn guitar from the ground up and you needed to use, you wanted to do it in one week or two weeks, you can delete social media and you'll have a lot more time to do that. But once you master that skill and re-download all the apps, you probably are likely to just jump right back into your old habits. So that's kind of why he cautions against just going cold turkey and no social media and instead suggests um, one of the three approaches I mentioned. But I think the key is really to use social media mindfully and purposefully because I do believe that social media has a lot of advantages, you know, connection, networking, sharing of information, learning new information. There's a lot of business and marketing opportunities that we can garner from social media, but we do have to mitigate its negative effects There's no doubt that quitting social media can free up time for more meaningful work and for you to accomplish more of your goals. So if you have something that you're working on and you're having trouble focusing on it, whether that be like a work task, um, school task, or a personal goal like writing a book, it can be smart to remove the distraction of social media, which will ultimately help you be more productive. I can't, I can't tell you, I was just thinking, um, um, obviously social media, everyone probably has their stories about how it's affected their life and it happens so slowly and it's, and it's so ingrained in your life, you know, until, uh, really reading this book and really analyzing my daily activities and, and my interaction with social media, maybe realize certain things. And it really is an addiction almost, you know, like the, I, I remember scrolling through, I think on Facebook and I remember thinking at one point, I'm scrolling through these videos and I'm like, I'm not even really, I don't, not even really, I don't even want to be doing this. I think at a deeper level, it's even tied into our primitive needs as a human being, like dopamine and all these things. It's just, it's a scary thing. So just taking a step back and kind of even just revisiting it, like how it, how it's a part of your life and setting those limits just makes sense at a lot of levels, not just with how it can uh, affect your, your deep work. And I think there's a lot of overlap with role number four and this social media because of how it's a growing part of our society deserves its own role. But I feel like role number four that he calls drain the shallows is very much connected with think he would consider the social media being one of those shallows, um, you know, the opposite of deep work and the time you're putting in and just really, really looking at your life and, and understanding some of those things that aren't moving you forward, that shallow work. And not just looking at all those things and just completely eliminating them, but just understanding how they you know, are related to your day to day. He uses this really cool example of, of how there's a company that basically takes a five day work week and breaks it down to four. But you know, the long and the short of it was, is, is it was, it was a, a successful pilot because, and they actually expanded in, in doing it ongoing in perpetuity because they, what they found was, is you had this 40 hour work week um, that was spread over five days and the, the actual activities that the or their employees needed to, to, to get done throughout the week were still getting done in the four days. And it wasn't like they took 40 hours and took it and expanded and put them into, you know, it went from eight hours a day to 10 hour, 10, 10, four hour days. They basically just eight hours a day 
And, and the idea was, is look, now I have four hours to get this done. And really, there's a lot of things going on throughout the day um, where people are just wasting time, I guess is the best way to, way to put it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of his idea was there's a lot of things we're doing in our lives that if we really had our back up against the wall or a deadline, that we wouldn't be doing those things. And there's a lot of things that we might be able to eliminate. So now that we've identified some of those things that aren't necessarily important or material to really anything, we can replace them with some of this deep work. In the end, at the highest level, it was just really, really interesting to, to see. After you read it, you're like, yeah, of course, like this makes perfect sense. You should be focused. You should be doing these things. But I think the real life examples really, really made, made it clear to me that there was, especially with some of these, he think he talks a lot about uh, computer scientists and some of these people you, where you have to do a lot of like memorization or learning and just to be really, really focused. Um, he uses journal journalism a lot and writing and just you need a lot of time to be focusing and learning um, and how much those people had accelerated past everyone in, the, in their field because of their their involvement. And um, I just thought it was a really uh, there's a lot of really great takeaways that, that I think all of us could use in our lives to to make ourselves better. So uh, I guess right now I'll just hand it back to you, Mark, to, to close us out. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, John. And uh, thank you to everyone who tuned in today. Don't forget to follow the Agent of Wealth on the platform you listen from and leave us a review of the show. We're currently accepting new clients. And if you'd like to schedule a one-on-one consultation with our advisors, please do so at boutisfinancial.com backslash call. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.